good things that I've learned of this, it's thinking critically and clearly in situations and trying to evaluate what is signal and what is noise in a very chaotic world. It's also taught me how to work hard and pursue something where the outcome is not guaranteed in any sense of the word. I've also become a lot more self-aware during this process for all the, the kind of reasons mentioned earlier. It's not something I see in all poker players, but in the ones that I respect, there's a curiosity about oneself and how to kind of grow from it. And the last point I wanted to make on this is kind of using games for good. So... Again, just straight jumping into the presentation about thinking in bets. So I want you to imagine that you're taking a test. And this is an exam you're fairly well prepared for. And you're getting questions in this exam. And you have the luxury of getting instant feedback, which in theory should be good for learning. But then imagine in this test you're taking, sometimes when you make a right, you score right on the, on the exam question, you get it wrong. And sometimes when you get it wrong, you get it right. So basically, this is the world that you kind of find yourself in sometimes if you're trying to play uh, the game of poker in a correct way, because the, the game will give you random feedback, which is somewhat equivalent to life as well, but then also can be very frustrating from a learning perspective. So basically, poker is a game of incomplete information, which you can see here. Uh, in this very lovely image where you have some information that is only available to you, which is your holdings. You have some information that is available to the entire um, game, and you have some information that is hidden from you, such as what is left in the deck and what is in your opponent's, um, what your opponent knows. So from this perspective, um, poker is probably a better game than chess for understanding life in the sense of uh, chess is a game of complete information where all the knowledge is out there for everyone to see. And there's a theoretically best move uh, all the time. So getting into the first basic question is, is poker a game of luck or a game of skill? So for this, I have a graphical illustration of what a, um, of a day might look like for someone who's trying to play this game professionally. So this is... Sure. Basically, what it looks like this is a random sample of what a what a day might look like in terms of um, different runs, in terms of outcomes. So you have a positive expectation here, which is the the black line, but it's very slight, and you have a lot of variance. And instead, then, if you were to change this time frame from a daily one to uh, one over a, an entire career, it might look something more like this. So. Basically, to answer the question, is poker a game of luck or skill? And the answer is clearly here, both. And the big sort of thing that it comes down to is time. And that's why I kind of view poker as a game of turning chaos into order, as you can see in between the two images. And in the game, it's not necessarily about being perfect uh, and trying to achieve a perfect play. It's more about making less mistakes than your opponents are making in the game. So how do we characterize a mistake in this game, which is gives us both random feedback and can be somewhat chaotic for that reason? So one of the big things that I learned from poker is that we as humans tend to think binary about the future and the past. Because for if we look at the past, only one thing happened. And it's obvious in hindsight what happened. 
And if we look at the future, we tend to kind of project that onto it as well, that one thing would happen. But a more accurate way of looking at the world, I think, at least from from playing this game, is it, the, the more accurate ways to look at it in confidence intervals, and things are X percent likely to happen and not happen. So from a decision-making framework, good and bad decisions are basically based on information you had at the time of making the decision and not stuff that you know now, which can be very easy to kind of second guess yourself if you based on the outcome of uh, something so if you made a decision which led to something happening which you find favorably uh, you might kind of view yourself in a very positive light as being very smart and uh, and such and uh, the opposite also and one way i'd like to frame this is when you have a good day or when you win you're not as good as you think uh, and when you have a bad day you're not as bad as you think so kind of taking the sort of emotional variance out of it and just focusing on doing the thing you think is correct and having more of a process-oriented way of thinking rather than an outcome-oriented way of thinking. Poker forces you to face failure in a way that can sometimes be feel harsh. Um, and this is where the idea behind what I'm presenting comes in. And it's thinking in bets instead of thinking in terms of money and building systems around that. So um, one term that is kind of used in both finance and in poker is risk of ruin. And you can kind of separate these things out a bit. So so one thing with like separating money from into thinking in bets is to uh, have as a poker player a financial um, pool of money, which is not part of your normal money, which is part of your sort of... Um, bankroll so to say and to have that separate and to be uh, large enough to withstand the variance of the game so you can keep playing the game so one analogy you can use here is um, if you're a carpenter or something carpenter or something like that you wouldn't if you had a bad month you wouldn't sell your hammer uh, just to kind of um, uh, have money to do other things because that's part of the toolkit that should be kept separate so as a poker player, you're kind of forced to, or if you want to do it in what I think is a healthy way, you're forced to take that money that you're playing with and not think about it as money, but rather units that you're using to play this game. And to build out that system where that is um, a big enough uh, pool of units to not have it affect your everyday life, because in that case, you're not going to be a good professional. For, poker also forces you, if you want to do it in the right way, to be brutally honest with yourself because it's something which bias can creep in a lot. I'll talk a little bit more about that later. And the more you can kind of evaluate yourself and look at yourself from an outside perspective and be honest with yourself, then the better you're going to do at it. Um, something I also learned through this is having skin in the game in a lot of situations. Um, having an opinion can be very cheap, especially in most of the, the real world, where if I say something, um, there's no real sort of, um, there, there doesn't have to be a huge amount of backlash. Um, one of my uh, favorite people had, had the idea of just... Um, um, if you wanted to have an opinion, you can have whatever opinion you want, but you would be forced to back it up with 1% of your net worth. And uh, I think that's an interesting idea because that kind of puts a price on not just having an opinion, 
for the sake of having an opinion. And gambling in general and poker in specific kind of digs this deep into you because you you always have an opinion in a situation and you're forced to back it up with having skin at the game basically at all times. So to some extent, if you want to take a more macro perspective on this, it's the search for what is actually true in a situation. So kind of, again, going back to that analogy of creating some sort of order out of the chaos that life or the game presents you with. It's also taught me a lot about introspection. Um, there are a myriad of biases that can creep up. One of them that I mentioned before is the, the bias of hindsight, meaning uh, thinking you had more information than you did at the time of making the decision, because in hindsight, everything is very obvious. Um, so that's that's one of the, the, the big ideas that keeps coming up. Also, we as humans tend to have certain biases towards um, not losing money, uh, which sounds very logical on the surface, uh, but leads to some interesting decision making where most humans are risk averse. Um, and these are probably um, biological perspectives on this or evolutionary perspectives on this. Um, which is also applicable to the rest of life. And for me, it has been a good push in taking some more risks when the cost is relatively low uh, because I'm somewhat of a conservative person myself. Um, one of the things that also has taught me is this idea of logic being on one side and emotion being on the other side. And that can definitely be true. It's important to kind of keep your emotions in check or at least be not always act on them. But I think for me, a more productive way of looking at emotions or bodily sensations uh, over the past couple of years, at least, has been to use them as a signal to look deeper. So the framework that I kind of developed through this is something to the extent of the last row you see here. So if I feel right now made 100% logical sense, what does the world look like from that perspective? So one example could be losing a hand and feeling like that was something that should have should not have happened happened and that person uh, did something to me so rather than just rationalizing in me like oh that's illogical clearly we're just playing a game here going back and assuming okay i feel angry right now what was the was what happened in this fictive or this imaginative not uh, world where i'm angry and i'm 100 percent correct to be angry in this situation what actually happened so from that, I've learned a lot of stuff about myself and how I work and about projecting and where some of the stuff comes from, uh, basically. So to kind of going towards the end of this uh, presentation, I, I think I've also learned a lot about stuff about playing the right game, the right type of game. And I'm borrowing a definition here between finite and infinite games. So a finite game would be defined as having uh, rules and fixed players and a time scale or a time frame, which everyone has agreed to in advance. So a finite game might be something like a game of football, where you have known players and you have a fixed time limit and the rules are agreed upon in advance. And then you have something like an infinite game, which is a game where there aren't unknown actors and known actors the time frame is somewhat unclear and the only objective of the game is to stay in the game for as long as possible to keep playing 
So it's not necessarily about winning and losing. It's about staying in the game. And poker is very much so a finite game. It's a zero-sum game of winning and losing. So if you lose, I win, and the opposite as well. And I think it's important to step out of that framework for as much as possible when you're living the rest of your life and kind of try to play games where as many players in the game can win as possible and and think less in terms of winning and losing and more in terms of um, how to play the game for a longer period of time. And yeah. Also, I've learned a lot about the role of community. Poker can be a very isolating individualistic pursuit if you make it one i've made some really good friends in poker and i remember when i was playing the most uh, the joy of it was not making a living out of it the joy of it was getting to post a graph of the month results on a forum and just have people that i liked kind of cheer me on that was the actual driving factor of this so i think when i was younger i underestimated the role of community and having had community in a world which is uh, very can be very hard and very sort of individualistic uh, has kind of shown me the value of that and this is also kind of the reason why i'm currently stepping out of the um, of playing poker and this is meaning versus fun which is i used to think this was very meaningful and was driving towards something and I'm, i i still think it's a fun thing to do but it's not fulfilling the meaning in my life anymore and i'm pursuing other things and that's why i'm currently sort of stepping stepping out of it so in a short summary of this i think th good things that i've learned of this it's thinking critically and clearly in situations and trying to evaluate what is signal and what is noise in a very chaotic world it's also taught me how to work hard and pursue something where the outcome is not guaranteed in any sense of the word. I've also become a lot more self-aware during this process for all the, the kind of reasons mentioned earlier. It's not something I see in all poker players, but in the ones that I respect, there's a, there's a curiosity about oneself and how to kind of grow from it. And the last point I wanted to make on this is kind of using games for good and it's interesting to kind of view this game from like the zero sum game and then kind of, okay, but what can we learn from this on a more macro scale and how can we sort of create games that have more win-win situations rather than the zero sum of win-lose. So that's, um, that's it for this, uh, this presentation. Thank you for listening guys. Thanks Daniel. Wow. Uh, Great Daniel. Yeah. Definitely got to know a little bit more about Daniel Vito from uh, listening to that. That was uh, that was great. Hmm. Cool. So, guys, uh, questions, reflections, comments on on Daniel's input. Can I just say, Daniel, it really resonated with me, and uh, I have a bit of an anecdote. I learned many of these things at the age of twelve, playing poker with my grandmother. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, the very first time my brothers and I wanted to play her. We got out the matches to, to, to bet with. And she said, no, no, <laughs> you need skin in the game. You've got to, got to be able to, to um, lose something. Uh, and we had to use our pocket money, which was um, really tough to do. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we never won, by the way. She beat us every time. <laughs> and she never gave us back our pocket money. Um, so really, really good lesson there. And, and the other thing I sort of learned from, from this was 
the fact that um, you learn to read people. Uh, and you know when people are bluffing, you learn to, to sort of tell. Uh, you also learn to be a better bluffer yourself and to, to know how to, to use the feint, which is really great in negotiations. Um, and uh, I liked your, your um, statement about uh, it being a zero-sum game, and it's about winning and losing. And uh, being uh, sort of the, the eldest of uh, four, four boys, we had very, very competitive um, uh, life growing up. So for us, it was definitely winning or lose, and you wanted to win. There was no losing. Um, so yeah, also good to, to hear that uh, there, there's this aspect of win-win that needs to come out. I'm curious about yeah. where that where, where the win-win like what does that look like uh, when you what what how have you been exploring that or yeah what do you mean by that? Yeah, so basically. I would view a lot of sort of voluntary transactions that can happen in 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 the real world as being potentially win-win. Mm -hmm. um, and I think sometimes, hmm, I don't. This is not always true, but oftentimes when I find myself where I find myself another person in a, in a sort of um, non-flourishing negotiation or discussion, it's often coming from one of the parties assuming that we're in a zero-sum game, and if I can step back one second and just be like okay there's probably ways to kind of look at this from a different angle where it doesn't have to be this adversarial relationship uh, currently i'm studying to become a psychologist uh, i think when therapy is done in a good way that's a, a great sort of way to look at it as a win-win situation i think um we kind of talked about this before in a previous one i think viewing relationships as strictly transactional is confusing uh, infinite game with a finite one for example where you're trying to get something out of the other person um so again that comes back to thinking about it from like a broader more win-win perspective and less transactional mm -hmm. and that was the other point that i really found interesting was this difference between an infinite game and a finite game and I think you said that when you're playing an infinite game, it makes sense to not, or it makes less sense to have your focus as trying to win and much more to just stay in the game. And I guess that's either enjoying the game, finding meaning in the game, uh, finding fun in the game, like, you know, but something else, but not having just winning. Why Why is that? Do you think what, what try, can you give us a, a deeper layer of explanation of why that's why, why you say that? why i say what exactly sorry could you uh, why why shouldn't one try to win an infinite game um because there's no winning <laughs> um it, it, it uh, i'm kind of stealing this from someone else uh, i can go more into to the sources of all this material um if you guys want later but basically, the idea of winning an infinite game is you can only win if the rules are sort of clearly defined and agreed upon. So if if, if I say um, I'm the best poker player in, in the world, someone could easily just counter with according to what metrics and what time period. And I think it's you can win certain aspects of it, but if you focus on that, I think you'd lose something sort of broader with it. I'm not sure I'm completely answering your question. Um, so if not, you can you can ask again. So yeah. an infinite game has no victory conditions. Um, exactly, yeah. There's no victory conditions, and the the only sort of goal is to kind of keep playing the game. 
like uh, the ultimate example would be like business or something like that or like if yeah i want to chime in here um because i have another definition of an infinite game which is a game that you can win in one round but the round repeated and the problem is that when you do everything to win one round you might piss off the other player and then the next round they will not cooperate and then you both lose the prisoner's dilemma is the main model that economists yeah. use to explain this so yeah, you, you can you, you can win in the short run but it's going to hurt you in the long run if you always just focus on your own winning so so short term immediate concerns could damage long-term interests that you're not even aware of right now what exactly they are so it's actually more like your definition of winning expands the longer you play the game you 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 get a deeper understanding of what victory looks like this is a, a good way of putting it yeah i would agree with that because i was thinking like you know if you're talking about poker for example like there's no such thing as an infinite game because of course of course everything is is finite at least you know in this existence that we have here um, or, you know, if, if you're talking about a human life, but still I could really see how in a, in that graphs, those two graphs that you showed, having the infinite game mindset of staying in the game, <laughs> um, ensures that you're more protected from, uh, the short-term possibility of, of making, of losing, uh, and it's the same thing with investment as well. I've noticed like it's so having a, a long-term approach to investment makes me far less kind of uh, emotionally unstable and likely to make bad choices based on um, overreaction or hysteria or something like that. Yeah, for sure. That's also sort of another, another, I didn't get a ton into the biases, but one bias that has been sort of recreated a bunch and sort of in human trials is most humans tend to perceive low probability of events as being zero. So if you say to someone, well, this has 4% chance of happening, most humans round that to zero. Mm -hmm. Whereas in poker, you're, you're kind of forced to face the reality that 4% happens a lot more than you would hope for. Uh, or you, that you would think mm -hmm. and minimizing sort of the, the risk of ruin is a very, very high priority. Same as in investing, you would do good staying mm -hmm. in the game for longer than trying to short-term maximize, uh, okay. actually. So, so could I kind of try and, I don't know if this is going to be clumsy, but to try and like translate this into a little bit into human life, like figuring out like, what are your, you know, as a as a human going through life, what are your risk of ruin decisions to be making? What's your like, you know, the the safety foundation that you need? Um, you know, a lot of us, there's a common narrative today that like, you know, you should go out and like experiment with and play with your sexuality. But for most of human history, I think we've seen the sexuality actually as your, you know, maybe that's something that goes very well into your risk of ruin uh, thing or I don't know. Maybe that's a controversial thing to even say that, but that that's something that I, I at least the, the first thing that comes into my mind. Um, there are certain life decisions that we take very lightly sometimes in the kind of like, oh yeah, teenagers they they always do that <laughs> or something like that. Hmm. Can I pick up on that? Um, and and you were sort of talking about the the you know the the there's a the skill, but there's also risk um, or chance. Um, and sort of what I, I understood is that, um, you know, skill is about uh, applied knowledge. Um, and the more skilled you are, the more you're able to apply the knowledge you have. Um, the risk aspect becomes calculated. 
So it's not like you're just taking a leap in the dark. Um, your risk is really calculated. And I, I imagine the, the, the level you were playing, um, and certainly if you were winning, um, a lot, lot of the risk you did take was calculated. Yes, for sure. The, the nice things with the graph that I posted is you have the benefit of hindsight of knowing what your actual win rate is. And in real time, um, you don't know that. So so even though I kind of currently have had a good sort of professional career with this and looking back at it, there's no guarantee of this whatsoever. So you're kind of working ups you're, you're swimming upstream of something you don't know what it actually looks like until you get enough of a sample size to know um so yeah with the benefit of hindsight graphs look nice <laughs> but in in real time um there's not as much there's much more chaos i would say i have another question oh but paul if you want to continue this thread no go for it uh, yeah, I really like the talk. And uh, for me, it's a nice demonstration of how concepts from economics can help you understand certain realms of human behavior. With poker, it's pretty clear. I think we all agree that the concepts that you use, most of them coming from game theory and economics, are very useful to make sense of the game and to get better at the game. Now, we are still talking about how we can apply those principles and insights to other more complex areas of life and this is actually a discussion that i also have had since last uh, talk with paul a bit about how we can use economics to make sense of human behavior in general and i'm a proponent of the idea that economics is extremely useful to understand all areas of life but you have to be aware of the limitations so for example in relationships as you said you have to be aware that it's a bit more like an infinite game not so much like a finite game and so for me economics good economics is about extending as far as you can with this logical rational mindset to explain as much as you can and that would have to include irrationalities would have to include all these complexities human biases what's your take um daniel on how far you can go with economics to explain much more complex phenomena in the world like love relationships all kinds of life areas i will start by quoting um uh, Eric Weinstein, who's a who's a mathematician, he says that all relationships are transactional. The good ones, it's very very unclear, <laughs> and I kind of and I kind of like that framing. I think sometimes with like economics and like this sort of a finite game or zero sum mindset, the problem with it is that it's this is the way I view it. The lens which you look through it through a zero-sum game or like an economics perspective, the lens, it's true. On like a surface level, everything that's said is true. I think there's a risk with adopting that perspective as your only one, because if you start looking at things from that lens, I think it's easy to have dysfunctional relationships or it's easy to have other stuff go wrong if that's your only lens. But, um, but economics is not think, a zero-sum game perspective right economics also explains win-win situation it, it economics has yeah, models yeah. that explain yeah. how in infinite games it makes sense for both players to do the good behavior the win-win behavior even though in the short term it hurts i, I would actually say economics is based on on the idea of of plus some games not zero sum games actually it, it is built built on the idea of, of synchronicity and growth yeah yeah i agree but cool yeah 
I, I can maybe I'll also say like Daniel, would you say like I, I think we can all agree if economics is your only model of human interaction, you're probably going to go bad. But I, what do you think about it being your primary model? I know too little about economics to have a strong opinion on this. I, I think, uh, but or mathematics, yeah. yeah. Oh, for sure, yeah. I'm sure. Mean, I think it's really interesting that you brought in the infinity thing as well, because you know, infinity is something we have a really hard time handling. It's it's an abstract idea in mathematics, but when you try and apply it to real life, then from normal human existence, and especially in a kind of materialist worldview, it's nonsensical. Like you know, we only invented the idea of zero and infinity you know, or like found mathematical ways of representing it and, and dealing with it, you know, we're still struggling, one can say, you know, there's there's big conundrums and paradoxes there. Um, so infinity is is really the realm of religion. It's somewhere where religions are very comfortable with as well. And I wonder, you know, it kind of dovetails very nicely with this idea that you said, like that in life situations, uh, especially when you lack information, I really like the 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 kind of that 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 introduction that you had like li life we have very very little information and that way it's much more like poker not like chess um, but then it's much better to be playing uh, with an infinite game mindset and maybe that's the reason why you know uh, there's this very large focus on infinite um, on on infinity in in, in religious systems um, I listened to a conversation just recently between Jonathan Peugeot, Jordan Peterson and Douglas Murray who's who's also an agnostic guy and the thing that I really took out of this conversation was it was very powerful, very interesting, was an idea that um, our beliefs about reality for all practical means and purposes are actually, they create reality. Because <laughs> reality, there's an infinite way that we can interpret, an infinite number of ways that we can interpret reality. So in some ways, our beliefs are actually more real than the physical material that reality is made out of, because that's actually much more bendable. And that's why we, you know, sometimes experience things so completely differently from other people is because our, our, our beliefs form our, our things. And so one of these things is like when I'm really approaching life with this infinite mindset, then I have a tendency to be playing a much more long term uh, game instead of the short term game of kind of like, well, you know, you know, the, the, the caricature would be like, you know, OK, well, I'm, I'm going to die tomorrow, so I might as well just have fun now and enjoy myself or something like that. Right. I agree with basically everything of that. I, I have a sense that I, uh, not meaning to kind of avoid it, I hear this question, and I would like to understand that question better as well, uh, because I confounded uh, economic theory with uh, with the zero-sum game. So if you have a better, like or like, like an other way of asking it, if you still want to ask it, I'm very interested in that question as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was trying to find a way to draw the line where we stop using economics to describe or make sense of human behavior and for me that line doesn't really exist i think you can apply economics to everything that's going on it's not going to be equally helpful in all areas but i think you can do it i was wondering whether you agree with that hmm. so I'm not sure. I'll I'll try to extrapolate from game theory then, because that's what I currently know in this. And, and the the interesting thing in in um, with game theory is, at least the way I understand it, is kind of assumes perfect information on some level. Meaning, if you have a a game theory model, for example, for rock paper scissors, uh, the two participants will 
have the other person's strategy be transparent to them. And then they will adjust back and forth with their strategy until they reach, they reach like an equilibrium point where no party wants to adjust their strategy because it's going to move the equilibrium. And we have this thing in poker as well now with AI kind of entering the picture of there being models to study what the equilibrium for poker looks like. And when you compare that to how humans play it, even really, really good poker players, we tend to default to risk aversion. And we tend to play the game differently. We, we, we're we not really able to do all this. So I'm not sure how it looks in economics, if there's like a big gap between the theory and the practice and how to kind of think about that in economic terms mm-hmm. to, to create better systems. I'm not sure, mm-hmm. actually. Yeah, I think this is this is the work of economics to look at what the theory predicts and then look at what humans actually do and try to make sense why there is a difference. And so one thing that economists have introduced is this concept of aversion. And this is a thing that you can measure and this is something you can quantify. And so humans have this kind of discount factor for uh, losses and they, they, they weigh it more heavily. So you can quantify that. So for me, economics is about quantifying the irrationality of human behavior. Hmm. Yeah. This sounds like, I, I think it's a, I'm not sure what the, I'm, I'm guessing to Paul's point about um, the, your perspective shape, sh- actually shaping the world. I, there's a myriad of different perspectives you can take. I think, I guess I come from somewhat of an economic perspective then, but I think um you could um, look at it from a bunch of different lenses. Um, so I don't really think I fully answered your question, but I like the economic perspective somewhat, I guess. Yeah. Um, maybe I can add a little bit, Achil, uh, as well. Um, I think it's interesting to look at the ends of things, like what are they aimed at? Like what is the teleos of something, right? So do you want to try put on words? What do you think? What is the field of economics aimed at? What is the study of economics? What What is it aimed towards? For me, it's aimed at making good decisions. Mm-hmm. And what's a good decision in economics? Um, so that's something that's basically up to the subject to decide what is good for you. You have to make that decision. And that's the area of philosophy. You have to come up with that mindset. And then the economist will calculate how can you maximize that value. Yeah. yeah. So that's what I would have used, maximizing value. I would say economics is aimed at maximizing value. Um, I was just thinking as we we're talking, so there's a, a guy who I follow his teachings very much called St. Sinuan the Athonite, who was um, a, a businessman before he became a monk. And, and he very much often, he uses the themes of investment and uh, kind of all these things in a spiritual sense to talk about like, you know, building spiritual value. Uh, and he uses it in an incredibly good way. And so I, for me, I think that's, that's really, really productive and useful to use. And, and it's very deep, meaningful things that I use. And, and, and it has this card hold rationality to it as well, which kind of wakes you up a little bit in a, in a good way, right? It's, it's like, it, it, it's great. Um, so I think our conversation comes from like, you know, the, 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 the thing of using economics in a kind of, you know, we call it sex, sex market, sexual marketplace uh, as a way of analyzing, you know, finding a partner or partner search. Um, 
And I may I, I can see that there's some value there. I can really see there's some value there because you want to make a good investment. It's your life you have as an investment and you're investing in another person. And so there's all kind of like criteria that you can analyze and single out and and decide like the you know what's the variability, what's the what was the risk, different chance probabilities, whatever, like what that Daniel was saying as well. But uh, I'm just concerned about what I see as like the commodification of of love and personal relationships, and that we become consumers on that market as well. So I can really see the value of it. And then for me, it's just like it's about like not being the primary model. I want to add on this? I think economics does not make sense when you start considering something that's infinite. So spirituality, for example, opens up the door to infinite entities and their economics just cannot work. So that's where I would draw the line. Economics needs uh, this um, assertion that there's a limited resource, money, time, life, whatever it is. And that's the case in poker, clearly. That's the case in some areas of life. But in some areas of life, actually, there seems to be something bigger. And I think that's where economics stops. And love could also be one of those things. But shouldn't you be playing an infinite game when you're playing the game of love? Isn't that what Daniel said? Yeah. But as, as soon as it it is about some infinite entities mm -hmm. and you have some resources that are not like bounded, they're not limited, then I think economics stops to make sense. Economics is the science of making um, decisions under limited, limited resources. Mm -hmm. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, this, is, this sounds like it could be a theme that we can develop. I, I definitely been thinking more about it than my initial reaction. So, so that's been good. Good. Anything is else? There, yeah, last comments, guys. Is there a danger of uh, thinking of maximum profit as opposed to maximum value? How, how would you compare the maximum value and the maximum profit? And where where does the one push you into the wrong area? Are you are we sp strictly talking about um, a sort of poker perspective here, or more general in life? More general in life, or love love relationships? I think you're love relationships. But it's, it's isn't economics a lot about profit, or is it more about this maximizing value? Where where, where... I mean, I, nice. I think it's just about like the the plus the plus sum games, the win win games, like making sure that you take on the perspective. If you're using the economic model. You need to be using the win-win scenario, not the win-lose scenario, right? That that's that seems to be the core thing. For maximum um, value. That's what you're asking you about as well. Yeah, that, that's maximizing value instead of maximizing yeah, yeah. selfish profit. Mm. Business yeah. would be more about profits. Like if you have a, a finance or a business student, they would think about how to make the company successful in terms of profit. But in economics, the professional would always think about the value and ideally the value for the macro economy. Mm. That's a good point, I feel. Yeah, that's a really good distinction to make between a, a capitalist businessman and uh, <laughs> and an economist. He's actually, uh, he has the big picture in mind. He's actually thinking of the health of the system. Exactly. And it comes because I was an economist who was into health economics. So I was not measuring money, but I was actually measuring um, oxygen and uh, eyeballs in blood. We made <laughs> interventions happen that would improve the health of some people in India. Mm -hmm. That's something that's sort of come out for me is that um, it's about the the bigger picture and the smaller picture. 
Uh, and uh, for me, what, what you can learn from poker and, and what poker can train is a particular way of thinking. And I think it's a tactical way of thinking, whereas chess is a more strategic way of thinking. So you've got the bigger picture and the smaller picture. Um, and then you start to get into primary models or any model at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm still thinking of winning the individual battles or losing the individual battles and winning the war. So is it so much about the individual battles or the war? And I think there the infinite war can be won. Good. Guys, we have two minutes, so we're going to stop and we're going to do a checkout.